giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Jay Nath, co-CEO of City Innovate and former Chief Innovation Officer of San Francisco. Jay, thanks for joining me. Yeah, Chad, thank you for having me. I assume based on the name and the fact that I've done my research, but I assume based on the name of City Innovate and the fact that you're former Chief Innovation Officer of San Francisco that what City Innovate might be, but why don't you give everybody uh, an overview of what, what it is? Yeah, thank you, Chad. So City Innovate's focused on helping governments be more effective, responsive, and focused on helping their constituents, whether it's a a small city government or uh, a big state. And the way that we've been doing this is really sort of at an interesting, I would say, wonky sort of place. We found that there's a pressure point in government uh, around documents and specifically on procurement. And why is that interesting? Because what I've seen is if you want to work with government and collaborate, whether it's even volunteering or you're a startup and you want to work, procurement is often that channel. And it's not really a channel. It's more of a barrier, a Byzantine process. You can think of us, you know, from a, from a technical frame, creating an API, a read-write API to make that process much more streamlined on both sides, helping governments be able to find the best partners to solve their big challenges. And on the other side, folks from all walks of life, whether you're a massive company or you're a, a founder in, in, a, in a garage, uh, you know, how do you actually connect those two? So we're really working at that intersection and something that I find a lot of value in and, and importance in. And surprisingly, and maybe not surprisingly, there's a lot of need for technology to help connect those dots. And ultimately, I think what it can do is, is make that process more inclusive and lower the barriers of entry so that people from you know, uh, different communities can participate and mm -hmm. help make their communities better. So your clients at City Innovate are cities and governmental organizations. Are you just delivering a product to them or, or are you often helping them work better too? It's a bit of both. And, you know, from a product standpoint, we're really in the B2B space and, and very much, you know, sort of enterprise, if you will. And part of that, you know, standard enterprise SaaS offering is also support services, right? And that can be training, that can be professional services to help them, you know, and thought leadership in, in different ways. And that's exactly what we do. So we not only have our product, but we help them through something called agile procurement. So it's really borrowing from the software development methodology and applying the same principles and approaches to developing and finding the right partner, right? And being more agile and iterative through that process. And historically, it's been very waterfall and very mm -hmm. sort of stilted and, and overly structured. So really being more focused on outcomes, really being focused on getting data into the process so that you can actually do, let's say, a bake-off and get uh, more information before we make that decision. It's surprising, Ted. You know, folks in government are often buying, you know, multi-million dollar, tens of millions of dollars technology systems without actually trying it out. And, you know, think about your personal life. You test drive a car, you, you know, look through a home, 
you make these big decisions with a lot of data and evidence. And in government, historically, they've been using paper documents to make that decision, right? RFP responses and marketing material. And it's hard to sift through and say, hey, what's real and what's not? So we've been really helping them think through a more agile, evidence-based approach. And our software supports that. And so, yeah, it's really really leading a movement about changing how they think about partnering with the vendor community or or contractors. So one of the things that is probably interesting about this and maybe a little bit meta is that this is what you help them do. And so you have to go through that process with them of being procured. (laughs) It is meta. You're absolutely right. (laughs) In order to become the vendor that they use. That's right. You know, what are the challenges inherent in that? And does it ever get in the way? And, and how do people, either your clients come to you or how do you find them? And how do you work through that challenging process of government procurement? Well, the thing is, since we know the space really well, we know how to navigate those sort of different channels. Uh, the Byzantine processes I mentioned before, I think one of the things I worked on when I was in uh, the, the city of San Francisco was a program that brought startups and governments together. And we had an educational component. We'd help founders better understand that exact question. How do you actually get contracts with government? And there's no books out there. There's, there's no real knowledge out there. And so we help them talk about you know, the, the 10 different pathways to doing that. So it's a, it's a bit of a hidden art, if you will. And I think there needs to be more, more conversation and more you know, sort of resources for founders if they're looking to go into the public sector to be able to navigate that. So we know that really well, and we're trying to really help broaden access to that knowledge. I assume that the clients you end up getting are people who are are, are governments who want to be better. Otherwise, they wouldn't choose your solution. Right. <laughs> well, I think their motivations are, are multifold, right? So mm-hmm. some, of, some of the governments want a process that's more efficient, right? They know that they can be more productive. They have, you know, maybe staffing constraints and they have a lot of work. So we can help them on the productivity side. There's other governments that are really focused on, hey, we need to get better partners out there. We've been sort of working with the same folks over and over again. How do we work with those innovators in our community? Uh, so there's that crowd. And then there's, I think, another group of folks who are saying, hey, we want to make sure that this process is more inclusive, right? We want to work with folks who are from different backgrounds who may be underrepresented, you know, how do we make this process more streamlined, more efficient so that they're able to participate more effectively? So I think the motivations can be different, but it's it's really at the end of the day centered around sort of this idea of, of digital transformation and, and sort of service design that allows these two different worlds to be able to communicate and work together more effectively. How long is the typical sales cycle for a client? Man, yeah, it can range from weeks, I would say, to months and going over 12 months, right? It could be 12 to 18 months, you know, trying to get in, doing a trial, maybe giving them that that certainty, but then them securing budget and that annual process of waiting for that budget uh, approval to happen. So it is not for the faint of heart, especially sort of enterprise software um, within government is really something that requires a lot of yeah different approaches right so partnerships with bigger companies that that have that distribution channel that might have those relationships that might have those contracts how do you actually work with them to sort of shortcut 
the long procurement process? How do you leverage folks like AWS and other cloud providers that may already have a relationship so that you can, again, piggyback off of that? So I think there's, again, there's a number of different ways to try to compress that, that time frame, but it's, uh, it's not a walk in the park, Chad. Yeah. So how in that environment, how did you get started with City Innovate? How long was it until you were able to get your first real customer? And, and how did you bridge the gap? between founding and being in the market? Yeah, that's a great question. So sort of being in the public sector, I knew that procurement is a, is a huge challenge and also a pressure point and a leverage point to unlocking a lot of value. And so the work that we had done with startups and government, uh, the first experience that we had, it was amazing. We had a company that came, a startup that came in and helped blind people navigate through uh, the airport here in San Francisco, SFO in four months and truly a collaboration with the startup and the airport staff. And unfortunately, when it came to procurement, it took two years for them to actually get into contract. Wow. You know, for a startup, that's like dog years. That's like an eternity, right? And so we really knew that we had to tackle that. So we introduced a methodology called challenge-based procurement that, as I spoke to earlier, is more agile, evidence-based and, and outcomes-based. And that really leveled the playing field for these young companies to show that, hey, we can actually go in here and help you solve that problem. You don't have to work with a big publicly traded company to do this work and spend a lot of money. We can be more nimble and agile. And so that's really where I started to dig in deeper into procurement. And that work got federally funded because it created a lot of jobs. And we've had hundreds of startups all across the U.S. It's an international program called STIR, Startup in Residence, and really proud of that work. Our mayor, unfortunately, died unexpectedly. So um, we looked at, hey, where do we move this program? And it did make sense for a city to manage a a multi-city program. And so City Innovate came to mind. Uh, At the time, they were a nonprofit. I'd been working with um, my co-CEO, co-executive director at the time. It was a nice, beautiful transition into that. And at that time, I said, you know, for myself personally, where do I see impact and what can I do? And for me, the idea of entrepreneurship, the idea of products making impact in government, I saw how much impact was being made. And so City Innovate has really become that vehicle for, for myself and the organization to really scale that idea out. You mentioned you have a co-CEO. How did that come about and how do you split the responsibilities between the two of you? Well, the good thing is we're really a great compliment. So his focus is really on, on go to market and focusing on, you know, how do we, how do we get this in the hands of our, our customers or prospective customers? Right. And I've always been very interested on the product side. I was formerly a VP of product at a, at a startup before my, my time in government. And so that scenario that I, I find keen interest and I, I deeply understand the personas and the use cases of government having spent a lot of time there. And so that empathy and understanding and building a product around that and having somebody who can help get that product in the hands of government navigating through those difficult processes, it really does take that. You you can have a great product, but without that ability to get it in the hands of your customers, it's it's just, especially with government, it's really challenging. Mm -hmm. Is there any... In particular, like why co-CEO and and not 
you know, two other C-level roles, one of you CEO, one of you CIO? Or- yeah, I don't think we've spent too much time uh, sort of debating that. And that might change, I think, to your point, you know, to better describe our focus areas, right? Maybe my role changes to chief product officer and, and his to a, a different role title. I think, you know, just starting a company, yeah, you've got a lot of things to worry about. And <laughs> yeah. it seems like a, just, yeah, I don't think there's much thought in it. Yeah, that's interesting, though. You, you're, you alluded to what you were doing before the city of San Francisco, but let's dive into that a little bit more. And specifically, what were you doing? And then why did you join the public sector? Yeah, so I was VP of product at a company called Square Trade. It was a wonderful journey. Um, we were working with, uh, again, something kind of wonky and a space that was anti-consumer. It was around warranties, specifically electronic warranties and we were in the eBay marketplace and expanded way beyond that in later years. But you know, when I was there, we really took sort of a contrarian perspective and being inspired by Zappos and many sort of companies that are really focused on the consumer, we changed that value proposition to say, hey, can we build a product that people love, a warranty that actually works? And so we did crazy things like we would actually give you the money before you return the product. We would have a shipping label, right? And we wouldn't ask any questions, right? We did amazing things, but that wasn't just because we were focused on the user experience. We also had data to back it up. We knew that, hey, there's a certain percentage of people who are going to return rocks, right? And uh, there's a certain percentage of people who are going to do certain things, right? So we had a lot of information going in. The other thing we knew is that we could sort of own the whole stack, you know, the underwriting, the retailing, and we also knew the business. So that was a great experience, but I really was missing this sort of connection to you know the public good and, and doing something that was having impact in a really tangible way. And that's when I you know saw why don't I work for a city I love and uh, deeply and care about, and that really drove me into thinking about public service. I had some friends who were in it, and they convinced me that I should take a look at that, and I definitely. I found the work that I've been uh, had been doing in public service to be extremely rewarding and just a unique opportunity, especially if you're a technologist or a product mindset or an engineering mindset. That is such a rare perspective uh, in government and being able to bring that in. You can do amazing things. You've, we've seen, you know, uh, we all know that the healthcare.gov and how that was sort of imploding and exploding almost brought down a presidency and administration. And it was saved. I think many people know this story, especially in your audience. That was really folks from Silicon Valley saying, hey, I'm going to raise my hand and volunteer my time. I might be working at a big company making a lot of money, but I will take my time out and try to help. And they did. They turned it around. And I I, I think that that ethos and that mindset of giving back is something that's animated my interest in in public sector and, and the fact that there's so much need, especially from the tech community and helping government out. Now, you didn't get started as the city innovation officer. So <laughs> you got started as the manager of enterprise CRM for the That's right. city of San Francisco. That's right. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, public sector work is maybe a little bit of a black box for people. I know it is for me. You mentioned you knew some people, but like, I assume that was not a political appointment job. It was not. And so So how does one get into that and find it and get that job and that kind of thing? 
I think I took a, a, a very rare and uncommon path. So I, okay. as, as you noted, I, I came in helping stand up a call center. So a three-in-one call center, which is for the folks who don't know, three-in-one, it's for non-emergencies, right? Potholes, et cetera, right? Starting a business, how do I do that? Mm-hmm. So yeah, set up a CRM system 24-7. It was a great experience and actually much harder than I thought. Uh, we were working. I was working harder there than I had at the startup. So you know, breaking some stereotypes or at least some ideas that I had my in my mind. But I, I, I quickly found myself sort of saturating that opportunity and saying, hey, what do I want to do? And this was at the time that Obama had just come into office and he had a call to action. His first memo in office was around openness and collaboration. And that I thought was really compelling to me. I had the opportunity to say, hey, let me reach out to folks in White House. I don't have any relationships there, but I have this badge of San Francisco. And that started me on a journey of innovation, civic innovation, and um, did some really interesting things with great startups like Twitter at the time. We created a a read-write API, the first of its kind in in local government, almost got fired by the CISO (laughs) and and trying to explain. He's like, why are you opening a channel into government to uh, let people do horrible things. And so it's an interesting conversation, but as Gavin Newsom was a, was the mayor at the time then, so you can see it's going back in time, but <laughs> my journey then sort of said, Hey, let's continue building data standards and doing good work. And I was recognized by the, the mayoral campaigns that were running. And so they wanted to sort of say, Hey, we need somebody in innovation in, in the mayor's office. So got recruited into that role uh, the first of its kind in San Francisco and and in the U.S. So it was it was just a great opportunity to really help define and set a foundation for what does civic innovation mean, what does that look like, and we had a small office, and we did some really interesting work at the nexus of collaboration. That's really what I think is what we tried to do is make government more permeable, more accessible for people who are driving innovation in their communities to be able to participate in government. I wanted to tell you all about something I've been working on quietly for the past year or so, and that's AgencyU. AgencyU is a membership-based program where I work one-on-one with a small group of agency founders and leaders toward their business goals. We do one-on-one coaching sessions and also monthly group meetings. We start with goal setting, advice, and problem solving based on my experiences over the last 18 years of running ThoughtBot. As we progress as a group, we all get to know each other more, and many of the AgencyU members are now working on client projects together and even referring work to each other. Whether you're struggling to grow an agency, taking it to the next level and having growing pains, or a solo founder who just needs someone to talk to, in my 18 years of leading and growing ThoughtBot, I've seen and learned from a lot of different situations, and I'd be happy to work with you. Learn more and sign up today at thoughtbot.com slash agencyu. That's A-G-E-N-C-Y, the letter U. If someone's interested, how how might they get involved in contributing to the public sector? Yeah, I think there's a couple of different ways. So one way, uh, Chad, is that governments are often putting a lot of data out. There's been an open data movement that we had led and it's now a national global movement. So you can find data and you can create a data product around that and giving more insight into visibility into issues. You can volunteer with a specific department. They're looking for those skill sets, right? So you can do that. You can also look for digital services offices. So those are becoming much more commonplace in governments, if that's your thing, right? 
there's definitely ways to raise your hand and try to contribute. Folks are always looking for it. And if, and if you don't see that opportunity, make that opportunity happen. You know, reach out to your council member, reach out to uh, a department head and say, hey, I've got this great superpower. I want to help you do better. And I guarantee they will listen because they're often strapped for resources. Mm-hmm. How do you know when you should pursue sort of a more general product that it might be useful to, to governments versus like, oh, if I could get in there and, and contribute, how do you make that distinction in your mind? Well, I don't think there needs to be, right? So you can, you can come in and sort of have maybe a frame of, hey, let me help my local government. And you might find opportunities there while you're working there, right? Come on, they're using Microsoft Word and Excel to do something that really should be productized, right? So you can sort of think about it from that frame, or you might have built a product for an adjacent market or from for another need and say, hey, is there an opportunity to actually reframe this product that I have in the government context, right? It might be a content management system. It might be, you know, a lot of different products can be sort of reframed in that context. So the way that we actually became sort of a, a product company from a nonprofit was just doing that. We got invited to bring our methodology of this agile procurement. And so we had in the back of our mind this idea that I bet if we go there, it's going to be kind of dusty and it's going to be a lot of broken tools. And that was the case. They were using, you know, 40 year old technology to manage sometimes billions of dollars of purchasing. And so we saw something that you normally wouldn't have that vantage point by really collaborating and working with them. And that sort of led to product ideas and that we were able to co-design and co-develop that with our partner governments. And that's something that I think is also unique is that they're often eager to, to work with you because they don't get that opportunity often, right? To work with vendors and folks who, are, who can sort of conjure magic in their minds, right? That they have a vision or idea and you can come back in a week or a month and you might have a working product, not just wireframes, right? Yeah. And for them, you know, that ability to move so quickly, they haven't seen that before, right? And, and it, I saw that firsthand in, in bringing startups and governments together, the, the velocity and speed that startups can work with is so different. We all know that, but when they see that, they get excited. They want to work with them. They want to sort of lean into it and figure out, hey, what, can I give you data? Can I give you other ways to better understand the space? Because no one's cared about this space before. Mm-hmm. So there's often a willingness to grab a hold of anyone who can actually help them solve their problems. But you have to listen, right? And you have to come in humble. And I'll share a, a story here. Uh, I created a program called Civic Bridge that brought in pro bono sort of services from big companies like Google and Kinsey and many others, right? Mm-hmm. And some folks from Google came in and they said uh, they were sharing how they have to serve everybody, right? You know, their product is really ubiquitous and has to serve everybody. They quickly got reminded that government has to serve everybody you know people who don't have technology people don't aren't online people who don't have english as a first language and you know people with different uh disabilities right all of them are constituents and so technology is one way to reach people but you have to think broadly about how do you make that service or your offering accessible to everybody and i think that was a humbling experience for uh for the folks there at the table but what I loved about that program was really this is cross-pollination, right? And also breaking down the stereotypes in both directions, right? 
uh, that yeah. people sometimes have in the public sector of private sector folks because they often don't, you know, sort of hop back and forth, right? If you're a public mm-hmm. sector person, you're often public sector. And so being able to actually see that they're not just a bunch of capitalists, right? That they're <laughs> your neighbor, that these are people who do care about the community and they're making impact in a different way and vice versa, that there's so many talented people in government and the problems seem simple or seem simple to solve on the outside, but they're often wicked problems or just have a lot of complexity to try yeah. to solve. So um, it's great to be able to have that empathy on both sides. Yeah. That's maybe one thing. Are there other things that you would point out that are different when creating and shipping products for the public sector versus the private products? Yeah, I think that idea of being inclusive is really important. Mm-hmm. The other one is around, and this is, I think, true even in the private sector, but more so in the in, in the public sector because of the demographics that you're working with. These, you know, the demographics are folks who are you know, closer to retirement, they are not digital natives, right? So when you're building products, you really need to leverage mental models and use that as a way to bring them into a new experience or a new tool. And as, a, as an example, there's obviously a lot of government forms that you see, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think as a, as a technologist or a product person, you might say, hey, let's move away from, you know, Microsoft Word or Adobe PDF or whatever you're using we have this right thing called HTML. We can bring this online and have all these beautiful affordances. Well, that's really hard for those folks to wrap their heads around and move from something they may have been using for 20, 30 years. And so maybe that first step is not that. Maybe it's online fillable PDFs that you can actually store the data in a database and circle uh, shift that back. And maybe that allows them to actually move more quickly because there's less resistance both internally and for the public as well. And so we've seen that time and time again is that hey is there a way to make that that shift into a new paradigm but uh, do it in such a way that there's a clear connection point right and then maybe the next step after that is yeah we need to make sure this is mobile ready let's actually make that into a a, you know sort of a responsive design move away from uh, that pdf Um, and that's something that we've learned in our own product right that hey we need to sort of understand deeply the products and tools that they're using today and how do we draw those parallels and bring, bring them into the current, you know, sort of modern set of technologies that we're offering. So it's not always easy, but it, it's, it's something that we found a lot of success is leveraging those mental models. Are there other things that you might call out as things you got to keep in mind? Well, security is often, you know, we see that everywhere with solar winds, et cetera. I think there's just a, a deeper concern, supply chain attacks, ransomware, et cetera. So you're seeing, I think, across the board enterprises as well, but uh, in, in government even more so, you know, really focusing on that. And I think, you know, the challenge for folks who are building products is, you know, how do you find that balance, right? When you have to yeah. make sure that you're NIST certified and all of these SOC 2, et cetera, how do you build a great product that is accessible, that doesn't make you go through a bunch of hoops to try to get access to it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not easy. So that adds a layer of, of, of complexity, trying to build that out. And, you know, Chad, I'm, I'm sure you've worked with a lot of folks who have thought about government or may have had some success with it. So it might be interesting to hear from you if there is, you know, certain patterns or, you know, sort of product sensibilities that you've seen that have been successful, successfully applied in the public sector realm? Well, I think you're right about the that 
inherent complexity or, or that the bar is pretty high in order to have a product which is accessible and secure. And you can't, unlike a lot of, you know, if you're building a product for consumers, you can do some of that stuff iteratively. It can be difficult to work in an agile, iterative way in a highly regulated space. And so there's maybe not even one sort of set way that you do that. It might be different for the space that you operate in or whatever, but it is important to sort of take a step back and say, what can we do iteratively or what can we leave off right now because we have to do this other thing? And those will be different for every product. And I see the real mistake being not taking that step back and not really being thoughtful about how you're going to do that in the complex, highly regulated space. And this is true for like healthcare and finance as well. Like there's certain things you've got to do and really you have to approach it pretty thoughtfully in order to make sure you can still work and not just default to doing everything agile. You know, we have this concept of like the 80-20 rule. And that is sometimes really difficult to do in the public space, right? I think you're absolutely right. And and I think, you know, people recognize that highly regulated markets or industries are tough to crack. And I think you're absolutely right, Chad, that, you know, you have to find that entry point, right, where maybe you can come in and the regulations are lower for that problem that you're solving initially and use that as a place to land and then better understand where you fit into the overall workflow. and you're able to go upstream and downstream from there. And, you know, that's a lot of what we've seen success with these uh, young startups Mm -hmm. and the work we're doing will come in where there's maybe not so much regulations and provide value there, build trust, and then look at the broader sort of ecosystem or processes to say, hey, where can we add more value? Yes, it might be highly regulated, but we now have a better understanding, more resources and customers to help us educate climbing that mountain together. But yeah, I, I want to make sure that, you know, the flip side of all this, right? So if I were listening and say, well, it sounds like public sector is really tough. <laughs> and it is, but it's also truly rewarding. I think being able to know that you're able to help at the scale that government does its work is really, really rewarding. One of the founders that we helped uh, get her first product was to help foster kids uh, and that foster process that we've probably all heard is really, really tough. And they brought that online and they went from one city. They're in so many different states now serving so many people across the U.S. Uh, and they're doing really well. They're, I think, Series B or C. And it's amazing. But it took that one government to take a chance mm-hmm. and to be able to bring all, all this value. So that's something that excites me as the level of impact is so significant. On that note, you started the conversation saying that procurement was the area where you felt like you could have an impact. Do you see expanding beyond that in the future, or is that not on your roadmap? I think we have a lot to chew on, Um, but like a lot of product folks, I mean, we've got ideas sort of that are further out. What I'm seeing in the the government space, when we talk about digital transformation, in the government context, you're often talking about PDFs and Microsoft Word documents, et cetera. So I think for us, we're really excited about, is there a a new way to think about documents, right? Mm -hmm. In in a way that works for governments, right? 
they're used to Microsoft Word, but is there more that can be done there to create more affordances, to create more sort of powers that they just don't have today, right? And they're they're using post-it notes or whatever right. they might be to, to try to address those short gap and those shortcomings. Everything's gonna be marked down in GitHub eventually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we do need to introduce markdown or just plain text, maybe, right. you know? Like why are these contracts locked up in Microsoft Word? Yeah, that's something that's a pet peeve of mine as well. I, I spent a lot of time in open data and let's not use proprietary mm-hmm. formats. Let's use some things that are that folks understand but the world is changing which is great and we're seeing more governments using json and that's the the, sort of one of the things that i'll share is that when you're building a product for government you do have to think about the data component because that data doesn't belong to you you're really stewards that data belongs to the government and its constituents so that's a different way of thinking because often private companies are trying to monetize the data that they're having so you have to have a much more sort of a frame of your custodian I think that's one of the things that can get a little lost, you know, and, and, you know, whether it be bureaucracy or politics or whatever, but this idea that there is a community here, (laughs) Uh, it is the community in which you live. You you said that, you know, what inspired you to get involved was wanting to contribute back to a city that you love. Like, it's easy for that to get lost in, in, in everything. Yeah. And that's sort of my, my call to action to, to your audience is, you know, sort of touching upon our earlier points in our conversation, find a way if you have that means and ability and interest to make your community better. It might be something just for your city or it might be something bigger. And I've seen so many people, you know, have good ideas, but to your point, how do you actually convert that good idea into something that's valuable and used by the community? And hopefully this conversation is helping people inspire them to raise their hands and, um, knock on the door. I think you'll see folks on the other side giving you a warm reception. They're, they're very hungry and eager for people who have the, the capabilities of product and engineering and, and, and that type of talent to come to the table and help them. That's great. If folks want to get in touch with you or find out more about City Innovate or STIR too, right? Where are the places where they can do that? Yeah, they can go to our website, cityinnovate.com. They can also go, I've got my own personal website, janeapp.com. And I'm very open. I have been since the, my days in public service. I'm still very accessible. Um, maybe not as responsive as I used to be just with all the all the work of being a founder. But you know, if you're interested in this space, I always want to give back because we need great people, great talent working in the public sector, whether it's for government or within government or building a product for government. Awesome. Jay, thanks very much for stopping by and sharing with us. Thank you so much, Chad, for the opportunity to share the work that we're doing. You can subscribe to the show and find notes and a transcript for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.